Hello, listeners. New year means we have some exciting new things to share with you all. First off, we're going to be in LA at the end of January. We're going to be podcasting live at the LA Art Show, January 25th and 26th. In the evening around 5 p.m., we'll continue to update you as we have the exact details, but we will be there. We will be there for the duration of the show, making content, and we would love to see our LA listeners while we're there. So come out come to the show hang out with us it'll be a good time we are also doing another giveaway this giveaway includes a copy of the masterpiece by fiona davis a fantastic art historical novel and some dope studio brand headphones as well as a handful of other goodies if you want to enter for a chance to win the giveaway what you got to do is head over to the art history babe youtube channel subscribe to the channel and then like and comment on a recent video you can also earn up to 10 entries with additional comments so in order to be entered to win you have to go to the youtube channel subscribe Subscribe, like, and comment on one video and you get an entry. If you want additional entries, up to 10 additional entries, you can continue to comment on other videos. The giveaway will run through the month of January and the winner will be chosen first week of February. So make sure to get in on the fun. Also, don't forget to check out artandobject.com. Art and Object is a great resource for art history, contemporary art news, and other arts-related content like podcasts. So head over there, artandobject.com. And as always, a special thank you to all of our patrons, without which we would not be able to make this content for you. And a special shout out to our producer-level patrons, Sarah Sawachka-Dalton and Anna Marie Piccioni. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy New Year and enjoy the show. From Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. I'm Jen, and we are the Art History Babes. And we got a special guest today. Ooh. By the name of Faith Sponsor. Yeah. Me. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? If you've been with us for a while, you will recognize Faith as one of our featured artists. We also have had her on a couple of episodes. A frequent guest. We love Faith very much, and we're really excited to have her here today because we're going to talk about an artist who's very near and dear to her heart. So near, so dear. So near and dear. Mr. Anselm Kiefer. Anselm Kiefer, we have a lot of feelings. We mm-hmm. have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have plenty of information, so hopefully the feelings don't get in the way. <laughs> they probably will. I mean, let's just be real. <laughs> that's okay. There's going to be a lot of emotion in well, this one. Yeah. When we talk about an artist that we're passionate about, it gets real emotional. Any of our past episodes, I'm <laughs> like, Yoko Ono, Frida Kahlo. If you know what we're about, yeah. then that's not surprising to you. We cry. Um, yeah, we cry sometimes. Yeah, so Faith has been on our alchemy episode. She was on our tarot episode. Mm -hmm. We also just recorded a Patreon extra about her experiences with synesthesia. 
as kind of a companion to our synesthesia episode. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, please head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes, and listen to that shiz. Take a listen. Also, listen to our synesthesia episode if you are listening right now and you're going, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> we get into it and it's very interesting. So check it out. Yeah, lots of content out there for you guys. So we have... A lot to say, and so I suppose we'll just dive right into it with this one. Let's I think just, that's a good idea. Let's just go for it. I don't think we need any of the niceties, any of the no, banter. No, You know what? We've had enough of that right now. <laughs> We've bantered quite a bit. All right. So here we go. Let's go for it. Anselm Kiefer. He was born on March 8th, 1945 in, oh, I'm going to do my best here, Don Don Donashingen <laughs> Sounds good. Donashingen Baden-Württemberg, Germany. I tried. That sounded pretty good. Thank you. He's 73 years old and he's a Pisces. Also, whoa. He's a Pisces and he's a Capricorn moon. Whoa. How do you which... know his moon sign? <laughs> because I have a crush on him, okay? Because we I have you, a weird old man crush on Anselm Keeper. His rising wasn't listed. Mm. <laughs> so you didn't so find a full chart. You just found. But I was very excited because I'm a water sign with a Capricorn moon. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy? This is a sidebar. I'll bring it right back. But just really quick. Something's been happening in my life recently. <laughs> Which I feel like you guys should all know about. Just for our listeners that give a damn. I'm a Virgo, Virgo rising with a Taurus moon. Very earth. That's a lot of earth. You're earthbound. Earth. Earthbound, my dude. Um, I have been bringing all kinds of Pisces energy into my life lately. I wonder what's Mm. up with that. Maybe you just need to explore those watery depths, girl. No. (laughs) Anyway. Trying to make some mud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Time to make some mud. (laughs) Mud pie time. (laughs) I love that. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, back to our man Kiefer. He was raised on the east bank of the Rhine in the region of the Black Forest. He was named after Anselm Feuerbach, a 19th century classical painter, and apparently knew he would be an artist from a young age. He studied at university in Freiburg, the academy in Karlsruhe, and studied with artist Joseph Boys, is that right? Yeah. Boys, yeah. <laughs> uh, boys, <laughs> It's spelled B E U Y S. Yeah, it's boys. I think a lot of our but, listeners yeah. know boys. <laughs> I like your pronunciation. Yes. More honestly, you, you, I mean, it's. I, I have a hard time with that name. I like the caprice you brought to yeah, his last exactly. name. Exactly, because you definitely. I think you got you got all the nuance in yeah. his name. I tried. <laughs> Just the right amount of goof. Oh, (laughs) my God. Well, you guys just uh, explained me away. That's uh, what I'm about. (laughs) And that's me. Uh, That's me. Okay. Kiefer began his career as a photographer with performances in which he, in paramilitary costume, would mimic the Nazi salute on various locations in France, Switzerland, and Italy, calling for Germans to remember and acknowledge the loss of their culture through this pervasive xenophobia of the Third Reich. So real controversial 
type of performances. Real, real deep stuff there dealing with German identity post World War Two. That mm-hmm. is pervasive through all of his work, even yeah. until today. That's yeah. what he's about, which um, is kind of fitting considering he was born in '45, which was the year that the war ended. Yeah, so he yeah. was right on the tail end. Yeah. He was like literally born into ruin. Yeah, literally. exactly. Yeah, because his neighbors were like bombed the day after he was born or something yeah. like that. Yeah nuts so crazy and there's a lot to be said about people who lived during world war ii or both the world wars really but living post world war is a weird time even for people that didn't experience ground zero yeah. combat and there's a whole group of german contemporary artists that kind of live in this space of yeah, growing definitely. up in that second generation. Nat did a lot of research on them. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of one of them, even though he technically didn't live through any World War II because he had yeah. just been born. But he still obviously experienced the aftermath mm-hmm. of Yeah, it. exactly. That's kind of the defining feature of the second generation is that they didn't have to experience any of it. It's that their experience or the importance of their experience lies in the aftermath and what everything that followed the war the resonance of that just the whole atmosphere and being around people who lived through it because i think it's a very specific experience to be around people who lived it when you didn't necessarily yeah yeah it's just we talk about generational gaps like that's one that's just so drastic that it's almost hard to describe unless you lived it So what's really fascinating is artists like this or writers, anyone who comes of the second generation who chooses to express themselves. I'm just fascinated by all of those people because it's something we can't understand or reciprocate. Like we have to understand it through the lens of these people. And that's the only way to really find out the true impact of something like the Holocaust and World War II. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a very specific group of artists that can speak from this moment in time. And so Kiefer like we had mentioned, began his career as a photographer. His first single exhibition was titled Besetzungen Occupations, and that consisted of a series of photographs about controversial political action. So that was in 1969. But Kiefer is very much still known for his work referring to elements of German culture, so myth, history, music, art history, literature, philosophy, folk customs, even topography and architecture. So all over the place. Literally all over the place, which is why he just speaks to my soul. He is out there asking the big questions all the time. In terms of his material use, a lot of his more well-known stuff, still lots of materials. He uses lead, glass shards, heavy coats of paint to the point where they're like almost sculptural. Natural materials such as dried flowers, strands of hay, dirt, tree roots, among many other things. and. Yeah, straw. He does a lot with like sunflowers, like mm-hmm. dyeing sunflowers. Or casting them. Yeah. And his use of these natural materials relates to these big themes of death, rebirth, transformation, and just the overall nature of life. He's just trying to figure it out. <laughs> As Jen mentioned, he came to art at a pretty young age. And he told this story in an interview I watched where he kind of came to art because of a dissatisfaction with religion. 
that he experienced at a pretty young age. And so he grew up Catholic and he went and he took his first communion and apparently he took it very seriously. He was expecting kind of, it makes sense because I think I kind of had a similar experience when I was young and in the Catholic church. Like I think you kind of, as a young kid in the Catholic church, you kind of expect there to be some kind of big moment with God at some point, right? Like, Well, um, yeah, you're being groomed for this sort of, like something's going to be different exactly. after I do this. and Exactly. And yeah. the sacraments in the Catholic Church are a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so he took his first communion and he expected a grand illumination that really never happened. And the quote from him is, I cannot say that I decided then to be an artist, but it's one reason to be an artist. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just I do too it's like he was waiting for this big experience with God and that didn't happen and then it's like well I guess I'll have to figure out a different way then mm-hmm. you know I yeah. love that German sensibility just the frankness is <laughs> I know, so right? pure to me I was promised enlightenment <laughs> and now I'm gonna do art yeah <laughs> I guess this is my path yeah now. thanks for nothing <laughs> God <laughs> thanks for nothing thanks for nothing Jesus <laughs> that's also another thing that kind of separates him from these other German post-World War II artists is a lot of them grew up in the east side of Germany that was more Lutheran. I Mm -hmm. don't want to get that wrong. Mm. And I think the west side was Catholic. I actually don't know the religious affiliations. There's a split. I hope I'm not getting that wrong, but most of the artists in this group were Protestant, were associated with Protestant. I want to say Eastern Germany. That could be wrong. And I think... Western Germany was more Catholic. That so makes sense. He is one of the geographically. Yeah, he is kind of coming out of this tradition from a Catholic perspective, which was a little bit different. Yeah, so that's kind of one of the things that kind of pushed him into becoming an artist. He also said at one point he was deciding between being a painter and being a writer. And I think it was in this documentary, Remembering the Future. He he was like, oh, I, I can't go back now. Like, basically, like, like it's I've done. I've come all this way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's basically mad at the world for not giving him enough time to yeah. read every single thing, which I, I also love. He just doesn't stop questioning ever and he's really into philosophy and and cosmology and like understanding the big questions from all these different perspectives and so there are two really good documentaries on Anselm Kiefer Remembering the Future is available like on Vimeo I think and then Over Your City's Grass Will Grow. grow. They're both really great Remembering the Future is just fantastic and a lot easier to find. That's my favorite (laughs) It's a pain to get Over Your City's Grass Will Grow. Okay but but you can get a free seven-day trial. That's what I did. Amazon. Yep, that's what I did Sundance, too. <laughs> Sundance film, yep. whatever. Yeah. yeah, so you can go to Amazon, get the seven-day Sundance trial, then you can watch Over yes, Your City's Grass Will I Grow. Did. Over Your City's Grass Will Grow is just a lot more like intensely visual, mm-hmm. and I love that aspect of it. Remembering the future, there's just more dialogue. There's kind it's of more of a traditional documentary, yeah. whereas, yeah, Over Your City's Grass Will Grow, it's yeah. a very art-heavy exactly. documentary. Over you your- have to be into art in installation and yeah. all that jazz. I, I have a bit of a bone to pick with over Ooh. oh really do tell <laughs> i love it visually it's stunning and i really like to just see things without people explaining yeah yeah me on. too the music was so specific that i muted I, it I, I, I muted it too I feel like it forced a specific mood on me. It did. I didn't watch it. What was the music like? It's dark. It's very dark. It's dark. It's almost like, 
I hate to say this, but like a spooky part of Indiana Jones, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> but it's like a very specific mood that I didn't feel great. It yeah. didn't bother wow. me at first, but I have to say it, like seven minutes in, it started to. And then by like 10 minutes, I had to mute it. It I, was like I a very as as quick turnover. <laughs> yeah. I like didn't notice it. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't like this. Like, yeah. I just don't like it. That's really interesting. I had, I think it's cool that you guys muted it because I, I'm sure it's a different experience visually mm. watching without the music. But I was pretty entranced because See, that of the been music. Nice. Yeah. I was distracted by like, the music. Like I really liked the darkness of it because so I saw Over Your City's Grass Will Grow a long time ago. It was on Netflix at one time, mm-hmm. and I saw it years ago. And it was when I was still, I think I had seen a Kiefer, but I was still pretty unfamiliar with him. Or like I was just getting to know his work, and I just watched that on Netflix, and I was like, ah, like I just loved it. <laughs> like it was like dark and creepy and weird, and yeah. like the whole opening sequence is of his studio at Barjack, which is an incredible. Which I two- would like give up a few toes. <laughs> I know. I mean, honestly, it's how many toes, toes do you need? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just enough to stand upright. Right? Exactly. You have the toes that you have. You have <laughs> I have the toes <laughs> that I have. <laughs> for Parks and Rec people yeah. out there, That's that was for you. That is my favorite Ron Swanson co- quote. Hands down, <laughs> I have the toes that I have. <laughs> but the first time I saw it, yeah, so it's a studio at Barjack. It's this crazy... 200 acre insane landscape studio like dystopian playground basically it's beautiful and amazing and yeah i would give anything to experience it and it's this long i don't even know how long like very long employees have to use bikes to travel around like yeah keeper calls him up and he's like hey dude <laughs> hey dude <laughs> <Sub. laughs> be right there <laughs> i like imagining someone on a bike to like do type music going through his studio at barjack that's wonderful uh, but in over your grass will grow there's this crazy long opening sequence just exploring the studio with this really heavy music it's weird it is so fucking weird <laughs> so and i love it so much i love them separately like I love the music. It's just so specific. It is. No, and I like that you did it that way because that's a different way of experiencing it. So like you get to kind of just experience the imagery because music undeniably affects your experience of it. Yeah. I liked that experience that it gave me, but I think it's also interesting to do it the other way too. Whoever produced this documentary apparently wanted to put forth a sort of idea of this artist. So definitely the take home is watch it with that in mind. Yeah. But all of that being said, I think that documentary does a nice job capturing just the heaviness of his work totally, and the heaviness of what he's doing because it's heavy as shit, you know? It's just very like, oh God, it's weird, but it's beautiful, but it's dark, but it's sad, but it's like not. Like, it's just so... So many things. There's a great quote at the beginning of Remembering the Future, which is the documentary. Like that one's the more. So Remembering the Future Mm -hmm. is 2014. And Over Your Cities, Grass Will Grow. (laughs) Over Your Cities, the Grass Will Grow. Over Your Cities, the Grass Will Grow. Or Over Your Cities, Grass Will Grow. No, the. (laughs) Drop the the. I hope you Google a combination of those words. (laughs) You will find it. Yeah, you'll find the thing. (laughs) It it was made in 2010. That's all you need to know. Yeah, so that was made first. Remembering the Future is more recent but there's early on in the documentary a great quote by i don't even know who it is but they're like <laughs> sorry to the person who said this by someone 
um, by someone in the documentary. There are some people whose creativity verges on the demonic, and he's one of those. Ooh. That's a great quote. I know, yeah. right? Kudos to you. What's your name? <laughs> Sir? Old what's his name? <laughs> or ma'am? Really hit it on the button. <laughs> Good job, sir. Or ma'am. <laughs> I love that. He is so undeniably lost in his work, but... Also, this I'm already diving into the feelies. Also, he doesn't in any way give off the vibe that he's like a tortured artist. <laughs> and that's why he's I'm, not looking for sympathy. No. So because I already put on the table, like I have a big old man crush on Anselm Kiefer. Like he's in his 70s. I don't care. Like, and like, mm. for real. Yeah. Though. Like I yeah. have a real crush on him. And it's no need like, to justify. We <laughs> all get it. Um, we understand. Like his whole vibe is dark brooding intense but kind of chill which is like, like my total like mo such like, a chill person yeah like, right like he's no don't do that <laughs> or like his assistant tony like oh tony <laughs> like say, say bon tony and tony's like if you like it i guess there like, has never been i've watched a ton <laughs> i've t- watched a ton of interviews with this man and he does not seem he seems dark and brooding, but he does not seem tortured. You know, no. he's very, very chill. He's a and good he, looking guy. Look at he, him with he, his yeah. big old pants on. Oh, yeah. Where's the big pants? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's never this tortured element. And there's always like he's pretty funny, too. Like That's the thing. Like, I wouldn't look at his work and think whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, <laughs> after like absorbing <laughs> after absorbing so much of his work and like hearing interviews and watching documentaries and just like thinking about him all the time <laughs> like As i think you do i think he's whimsical i think That's his a really work sweet has picture. like a bit of whimsy i feel yeah. that i get that yeah and to agree that comes from understanding his personality and in his approach to his work because on the outside, most of it right. does not give off a whimsical feel at all. But basically, like, the common theme, the common thing he's trying to do with all of his work is, like, approach this quest to make sense of the world. Right. And he does that through such interesting stuff, through myth and mm-hmm. through cosmology and, like, alchemy. and alchemy and things that can be fairly whimsical. Mm-hmm. So, like, it makes sense to kind of see it that way absolutely to me it seems like he's always trying to reconcile something always Mm -hmm. so it's like that's why he never goes too far in any direction he's not completely against looking at whimsical things but it's like he's never gonna go so deep that way he's always gonna pull it back with something else like it's always a give and take with Anselm Kiefer yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Definitely. That actually like leads to, so in Remembering the Future, he's talking about his work and he's talking about the balance between like chaos and order. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he says, if it's too chaotic, nothing comes out. And if it's too ordered, it becomes sterilized. Mm-hmm. And I actually like thought a lot about this podcast because <laughs> that's like, that's true. And it's our, art, dude. In, yeah. In, but mm-hmm. in our production, like that is such a real thing with this show is like, if it's too chaotic, it's really hard to get anything out of it and you know we've had episodes kind of like that but mm-hmm. if it's too sterilized it's not it yeah, doesn't it's have not us. it's not mm-hmm. us and it doesn't have that flair so like I just like I felt that that was a very you know it's a very blanket statement but like a very it's like a human experience yeah. type of thing it's something that everyone can relate and to with relatable. their own yeah I love that. That makes me feel like uh, we are truly artists. <laughs> wow. I 
think we are. I think, I think we that are. we are. Uh, I not think to you toot are. Our own horn, but <laughs> toot toot. You know, um, I'm pretty proud of what we do. But that's a very beautiful sentiment. This idea of a balance. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And and playing with the chaos and playing with the order because also that's the world. Like mm-hmm. if like. Sorry. Oh, buns a out. Bunny There's a running. <laughs> and not booties, but <laughs> a small polka dot rabbit. It's really hard to not get distracted by this adorable little tiny rabbit. He's the cutest boy. And then he so runs cute. away and then he comes back. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Do one more time. But yeah, I feel like that thing that he's trying to find in his work is like a perfect expression of what goes on in the world because the world is not in perfect order and it would be super boring if it was. Mm-hmm. And But it's also like not so chaotic that like we've made sense out of it to some degree, you know? So it's like this, I don't know, it's a it's a exploring the macrocosm on the microcosm type idea. Totally. I really liked uh, something he said in Remembering the Future when he was like i mean he said it very practically and like in a german accent but he was like <laughs> basically i am interested in you know why we're smart enough to question like why we're here and what we are mm-hmm. uh but we can't like we can't figure it out yeah, yeah. like what what is that about? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> what is What's that, that about? Deal? <laughs> uh, which relates back to his like religious upbringing. But I thought that was a really good, simple root of his big questions. Mm-hmm. Definitely. His approach to art personally makes a lot of sense to me because to me, his approach to art, like it's the reason I like art. Like mm-hmm. I view art as a way of making sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And like that might not be everyone's approach to it, but that's what I think it's here for. And that's what he's just doing. He's yeah. just trying to make sense of the world yeah. on some large scale that involves history and philosophy and science and everything, you know. And that's a lot. That's super overwhelming. But I, I don't know. There's something incredibly admirable and interesting about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about these very huge themes, mm-hmm. universal themes and themes that carry with them some sense of permanence like the human condition will continue to explore these things. I'm very curious then about his use of ephemeral materials. So I don't know if I'm jumping ahead right now. No, but I, I don't would think love so. To I think talk about that. I think we can talk about that. I think actually we should take a quick break and then talk about that. Good idea. Let's I have a it. lot to say on this matter. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, Faith is our resident expert about ephemeral material. We'll be right back. (laughs) All right. We have returned and we're going to talk about another favorite topic, ephemerality. Mm. Oh, it's Mm. a great thing. The ephemeral. I do love ephemera. (laughs) It's a thing. Shall we define the ephemeral? That's probably a good idea. Uh, Nose goes. (laughs) Firstly, it's a beautiful word. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Faith, why don't you enlighten us on what we mean by ephemeral oh god i don't have a definition off the top of my head you do but something that doesn't last something that has a very not a very short time limit but temporal 
Is temporal. That a, temporal yeah. is another good word. I can see what like dictionary.com has yeah. for us. Well, mm. and a lot of things could be considered ephemera. There's some really fun Instagram pages where you can just see some mm-hmm. old stuff. Yeah. Things like brochures, posters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it literally is lasting for a very short time. Oh my time. God, <laughs> you did it. I was so close. <laughs> we knew that you would. Yeah, so something fleeting. Transitory. Mm. Transitory. All great words. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. good words. Brief. I think that should just <laughs> underscore how important that Concept aspect of is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> aspect of life. I feel like it's scary. Yeah. Ideas that are ephemeral or like Right. And things Everyone become... wants everything to last. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. scary the thought that something's fleeting, but like they're all such pretty words, so <laughs> like, don't be scared. So it's fine. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> and honestly, That's I said I think that things become more precious when they are ephemeral because you have to enjoy them for the limited amount of time that they will exist. So you take advantage of things that last for a very long Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So something about ephemeral art is that much more special. I mean, and we are that kind of animal where if we know that we can't have something, we just want it that much more. Mm -hmm. And then I think ephemeral art too, it's, in my opinion, more representative of reality Mm -hmm. in the world because everything is ephemeral Mm -hmm. and everything has a time limit. And while with some art, we try to extend its time limit. That is a good point. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. I really enjoy ephemeral art because I think it represents something very important and very true about reality. I mean, if you listen to us. Yeah, exactly. It's memento mori, just normal yeah. things yeah <laughs> i mean i think you should listen to our baby episode on spiral jetty where i get teary-eyed <laughs> yeah cory has got some feelings <laughs> about spiral jetty about those rocks in utah it's because of their lifespan like ephemerality is such an important thing with that work it wouldn't be that work if it wasn't for the ephemeral life the ephemeral aspect of it any art that engages with that in a very clear way is very moving to me. And just like you said, I think we all are pretty attracted to stuff that deals with like Memento Mori, which also is talking about the ephemeral. It's just a compelling way to approach making artwork, I think. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to talk about my experience with ephemeral art because I think that it's something that a lot of people are interested for the reasons that you guys have been listing but for young up-and-coming artists it's really difficult to work that way because Mm -hmm. not that you're not taken seriously but you're not given a lot of the privileges that established artists are given Mm -hmm. I found that out (laughs) in a big way in my thesis exhibition where like all of my work is ephemeral and it changes over time which is like a huge part of the work and I had to fight the whole time in order to get a portion of what I wanted that's Uh, so goddamn annoying (laughs) it is so annoying I'm curious I want to hear about your fight like Tell us yeah. what we that want was the about. dirty details <laughs> of your fight. No, we well, really do. We who really do we need to fight? Well, because they fought you. <laughs> I mean, on a personal level, you guys know how confrontational I am, which is not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but for my thesis presentation, you know, it's a big deal. It's the biggest deal that has mm-hmm. come up in an artist's career at that point, even though it's like just the beginning. But you know, there's like a big audience. It's your biggest thing in that point of your career and you want to go all out. It's also the end of something. In my specific instance, I won't name names, 
but it was like smart. A, it was a very new museum. It had just opened, <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a museum, a legit museum, a legit museum. And I understand, you know, <laughs> that they're still figuring things out. Exactly. <laughs> I love. We'll this give them some so leniency, much right now. but but Jesus Christ, <laughs> yes. But we hear you as Act far like as a museum. Exactly. Faith or- is doing such a good job right now. <laughs> I am so proud of how you're describing this situation i mean a big part of it was not treating the artists like they're artists Mm -hmm. treating them like they're students Mm -hmm. which like technically we're students but literally we're about to be if you're saying you're a museum then you need to treat the artists you're representing as artists regardless of whether or not they're students Mm -hmm. exactly we all had everyone in my program had two studio visits before we installed And the first one, I had a basic idea of what I wanted in the show. And I made a power move because they didn't tell us how much space we would get until about two weeks before the show. Yeah. Which is insane. It is insane. I remember this. Yeah. So I basically made a piece floor to ceiling, ceiling to the other side of the floor. Yeah, as big so, as my like an L shape, if you could imagine, yes. like ceiling down yes. to floor, across floor, yes. yes, across room. Yes, it was like a scroll. Really impressive, yeah. legit. Yeah, it was like ten by fourteen. The title should be Power Move. (laughs) Feet. Feet. We don't mean to spoil it, but uh, she got to do it. (laughs) It I did because I just made it and I was like, hey. Uh, (laughs) Hey. But I also had an element that was supposed to be like going the whole time. It was an iron drip that dripped onto this huge canvas that would change it over time because of a chemical reaction. And they freaked out. They were like, no. Oh. Just like flat no. And I was like, why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had, the thing is, I wasn't unprepared. I had a whole plan like, you know, I'm going to put plastic under this canvas. It's right. not just going to be like yeah. willy nilly. I'm going to any- check it every other day. Yeah. It's going to be a very slow drip. And- it's cement floors. Yes, right? exactly. Qu- question. <laughs> is there anything about a liquid iron, you said, that could not any way cause any sort of respiratory damage or was there anything like that so that was a question too i mean that was something that i had thought about and i fixed the whole piece because it is like off-putting powdered iron all the time so i fixed it i used about mm, 50 cans of uh sealant to fix it so it would not Mm -hmm. do that i had one specific very small spot the iron drip would react with so i said all of this beforehand like i have this under control Mm -hmm. no one's going to be inhaling it it's just going to be this one very specific spot and they were very against it and i sent a lot of emails and like there's not a lot of research on this kind of ink and like people doing on the large scale so i had to like do my own research and like send it to them and finally they gave in because they realized it was such a big part of the work Mm -hmm. but it took months and we had a month and a half like no time yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. you know our listeners wouldn't know about what this was like but we were in the midst of it in a way Mm -hmm. and we were like this is horribly confusing and and we don't have enough time to do any of what they want to do i think that that is something that people don't really take into consideration. The fact that things like 
any kind of work of art that has to occur in real time and isn't permanent. It's about the process, more about what is going to live in a museum for 100 years. There's so much red tape. Yeah. But also it's something that museums need to start figuring out because ephemeral art is... Well, it's I, here and it's growing and it's only becoming more prevalent in contemporary art. So we got to figure this out. Yeah, I totally like, agree. And wrapping it back around, you wouldn't have had that problem if you were Anselm Kiefer. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> through all of that <laughs> ranting, that was my point. Like, yeah. I, I remember when I was talking to my professors that were like, like, yeah, you should fight, but like maybe you should, you know, compromise a little. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Definitely no, not. <laughs> Good on you for um, not. But I remember hearing him. I saw a quote from him. And I don't know if it was a collector or like a journalist or something. And they were like, aren't you afraid that this is going to look like completely different? I don't know. A few years later, 50 years later. And he was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have time to be afraid like, about things like that. Yeah. He was also like, that's the point. Yeah. And uh, that gave me a lot of strength. Right. <laughs> Kiefer, thank you. Thank Kiefer you. To give you a little history. like, what would Kiefer do? Yeah. Tattoo. Yeah. yeah. What would Kiefer do? I an... don't care. <laughs> yeah. I don't and then underneath, just IDC. Yeah. <laughs> I, get, I don't, don't care. care. Tattooed yeah. onto that's your fantastic. neck. That's fantastic. <laughs> I don't care. Oh, man. There's another story in remembering the future. The exhibition designer is like talking about Anselm Kiefer and how like he'll leave paintings outside and stuff and an exhibition designer was like it's gonna rain aren't you like worried and Anselm's like rain won't hurt it it might even help it <laughs> that's what I love about <laughs> like, his work is it truly some of it yeah. looks like it was left out in yeah. the rain but like in a beautiful way because he doesn't so organic. care it's so <laughs> well it's so I have good. three paintings that have been outside for a year and they look better. That's the goal. That's the dream. Yeah, that's what you People do. People are so I precious about their work. So I think that we should break down an Anselm Kiefer for the layman. What do you guys think? Yeah. Just yeah. like pick a painting? But yeah. Like what do we see when we look at one? a Kiefer? Good I, question. I can talk about one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Nat's got uh, some. If no one else has one they want to get to first. I mean, round robining our favorites. Right? Like, this could be a very fun game. Yeah. So, Nero paints. Nero Malt. I've loved this painting since I discovered it, but I came across it in Munich accidentally. I was there for Oktoberfest, like every good art historian. (laughs) And in my spare time, I walked over to the Pinacothek der Modern. There you go. It sounds good. It's in Munich. It's a beautiful museum. I really enjoyed it. And they had this painting and I didn't know they had it going in. I was by myself and I literally just walked up upon it. And this was what, a year and a half after I had written my undergrad thesis about this painting. Also, I don't know why I'm not big into scale. I've never been someone who like pays attention to scale when I'm researching. So I didn't realize how big it is. Isn't that always kind That's of a fun best. surprise? It is. And, and yeah. yeah, I was so pleasantly surprised. It's huge. It's an enormous painting. And I kind of wish I had been with someone to get a little more like human scale. So different for Kiefer, a big painting. Right? Usually <laughs> what? <works> so small. <laughs> Unheard of. <laughs> but this one I discussed in my paper as a kind of homage to 18th, 19th century German artists and especially Wagner. And he was a favorite of Hitler. To Kiefer, Wagner was kind of symbolic of this archetype of an artist who could be manipulated 
in the future. So like postmortem, like Wagner was not a Nazi, but Hitler was able to kind of use his music and morph it in a way to make it a Nazi anthem. Real. Mm -hmm. So it was like this idea of as an artist, you have no control over what you put out once you put it out there. So it's an embodiment of this fear. And in this painting, it's a field that looks like it's been burnt to the ground. And in the, in the distance, in the far right, you can see what looks like a burning city. And then right in the center is this giant outline of a palette with four paintbrushes sticking out on fire. And I've also read about this being interpreted as a self-portrait, as a symbolic self-portrait. So as a self-portrait, the palette acts in place of the human form. So everything that's burnt, burnt to the ground that's on fire is on fire because of him and his art, but not necessarily of his own volition. It's out of his control. So very difficult to get from just looking at it. <laughs> but there are a lot of layers to his work. And honestly, I just love this work aesthetically anyway. It's amazing in person. I would recommend if you're in Munich, yeah, make a trip. I think that that is like the important thing to emphasize about Kiefer is that you really have to see him in person to mm -hmm. really truly grasp the enormity of mm -hmm. his work and his materials. So I had never experienced a Kiefer until we went to the Louvre last year. Oh, Do that you was remember? your first That Kiefer? was my first Kiefer. That was a great Kiefer. That was a surprise I, Kiefer. That's a beautiful Kiefer. It was the I first Kiefer I've Kiefer. ever seen. I believe the name of the painting is Athenor. And if you look at it, it is an enormous painting. It is wedged between this kind of... It's like built into I a... wish I could remember the architectural name of what yeah. this is called. Oh, God, it's so good. But it's like in the wall in the Louvre. And at the bottom is a man who looks dead deceased a deceased man <laughs> and all you see above him is sort of this like clouds of just a mass of almost like smoke coming out of his body it's very much coming out of his body there's like a thin line emanating from his torso and it begins to look like stars it's really beautiful I had never seen Kiefer before. I didn't even know who he was. And, and I saw that and was like, whoa. And the reason why I think that this work was so impactful for me, at least, is the idea of seeing a living artist at the Louvre. I know, right? And we were just walking. Yeah, like, it was we, in a weird spot. It was yeah. like in a transitional space. Yeah, it was yeah. totally in a liminal space. It was like in like a kind of stairwell type yeah, situation. Yeah, it was a stairwell. And we walked up and because Nat and I both have liked Kiefer for a while and I think we both immediately were like, is this Kiefer? Like, yeah. we were like, yeah. what is happening? Yeah. I almost peed my pants. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like the best surprise. Yeah. For I mean, me, like made my whole day. Yeah, the thing about Kiefer is, awesome. I don't know if this is like a Kiefer thing, but I've never gone to a museum to see one, but three separate times I've come across them mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. in museums. There was in Munich, at the Louvre, and then in Napa at the, the Hess, Hess collection. collection. I have still not seen oh, that collection. And the Kiefer yeah. there you, is good. I know, I know. I wanted to go for my birthday, but... They have a Richter, so too. There's a really here. good The Hess quote. collection is fantastic. I know. It really take is. Me. It's like <laughs> the most surprising. Somebody take me. Amazing. Somebody take me. <laughs> there's a good quote by Kiefer, because Kiefer at the Louvre was a bit of a sensation. And it was very much because of this idea of a living artist in a museum where they never were before. And Kiefer 
is quoted as saying, living artists are much more complicated than dead artists. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's how you feel about most things he says. It's like, it's, it's surprisingly insightful, but just very, like, to yeah, the point. Yeah, you're like, I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, that was my first keeper. And, and, I uh, love that that was your first keeper. Yeah. yeah, me too. And if for whatever reason, dear listeners, you find yourself at the Louvre, go check it out. Oh, I think God, it's, it's still so there, good. And it's amazing. We it's, couldn't tell you where it is because we were just It was just, we were just surprised. I, I, it was like after Egypt. Egypt, right? Yeah, it was it was around Egypt. Yeah, I think it was. Because we were either on our way to Egypt or we just come from Egypt. I, yeah, I also, wanna... I love how it fit into this beautiful arch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in like set into the wall. It's stupid set pretty. Set into a wall underneath an arch. And yeah, just aesthetically. A surprise. Because mm-hmm. you're so used to seeing all this old art basically like aesthetically it just it kind of screams at you basically am i I wrong in this that there was an accompanying one across there was there There was there was two the the one you were talking about was definitely i don't want to say that one's more interesting than the other but like it was just it had more going on and the other one i want to say was like was it a sculpture? It was like a flower? Yeah. Sunflowers. Yeah. Okay. Sunflowers. That's his there thing. Yeah. He basically like took up a whole stairwell, basically. It was really amazing. It's, um, it's it gave a very us, cool experience. It gave us life. Yeah. We were we very needed it at much, that point. <laughs> I think that we were hungover or something. We weren't hungover at the Louvre, we were but just, we were tired. We were, we were tired. Hot. That was it was like heat. 100 there degrees. There was a heat wave <laughs> in, <laughs> in Paris. You get like museum fatigue and you have to wait so long. To yeah. yeah. We were just like, exhausted. Yeah. That was one of my favorite moments at the Louvre. That was a great surprise but speaking of first kefirs i actually have a picture of my first kefir right here and me looking at it Ooh, yeah that's cool when you so have nice. friends that take pictures of you looking at art you can see how big it is <laughs> yeah so there's me um, there's a lot of really good pictures of Corey looking at art <laughs> there are and corey has got a lot of good friends <laughs> i just yeah. want to give a shout out to all the people out there <laughs> who have taken pictures of me looking at and yeah. contemplating art but throughout you're the years good at it too though you took a really good picture of me admiring a painting by El Greco yeah and, I'm, and that's I'm one actually, of my favorite pictures I'm actually pretty good at I it I think that's <laughs> on my tinder profile <laughs> I do. I Yo, do. boys. Here's me, Jen. Here's Elgar. She's cultured. I, I make a point to get good candids of you guys looking at art. It's, You're uh, a goddess for that. <laughs> I need to go to museums with you. I have yeah. no good yeah. photo. I mean, I maybe have one because I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> take this photo of me looking at this beautiful <laughs> but this was my first kefir and it was baby's first kefir so it, sweet it was at the high museum of art in atlanta oh and it, i saw it in 2013 the work was from 2001 it's called dragon or drach Drosh, drosh, I don't know how to say dragon in German, but um, you don't. <laughs> it can also be called Draco because it represents the Draco constellation, which is dragon in Latin. Mm-hmm. It's huge, a huge work of his. But I was so drawn to it because the representational element of it is the Draco constellation. And in this, he's kind of working with mythology and how all of these cultures throughout time have had a dragon and what it's represented. But mm-hmm. he's also obviously playing with cosmology and constellations and the stars. And then you've got these like waves and mountainous figures. So you're yeah, just all the things I like. This Basically. is a really interesting, it's a really interesting 
happens sort of later, Kiefer. Yeah. Because he really becomes more concerned with these cosmological themes and this idea of a mythology that permeates throughout different cultures and things. And making mm-hmm. connections between these big ideas. That's his big thing, which we... Did we mention on this episode or did we mention it on the Synesthesia oh. episode? Oh, wait, wait. I think we actually mentioned it. So we just did a Patreon extra yeah. with Faith and we kind of got on, on some tangents, but we were talking about creativity and how mm-hmm. creativity is making connections between two ideas that weren't mm-hmm. previously connected. And that's a definition of creativity that a lot of people have but Anselm Kiefer has stated that too in his own words mm-hmm. basically that it's about making connections and that he is very concerned with neural pathways yeah. that he has this one I think it's just a clear example of how he's making connections between this mythology of the dragon throughout cultures and the stars and creating almost his own idea of mythology yeah his own mythology Mm -hmm. of how history and reality works you know Mm -hmm. he's creating connections between these things that are connected in some way and then he's connecting them in his own way in this artwork it almost reminds me of how when i was a young artist back when i was Uh, an artist (laughs) learning that you've got to learn the basics and basically copy other people to learn how to do Mm -hmm. the standard and then you can start breaking the rules and doing your own things Mm -hmm. but you have to learn Learn how rules before you break the rules exactly that is the eloquent way to say it and it almost reminds me of that with like mythology and history like he was so steeped and enveloped in the history and the mythology of german culture and then he gets to a point where he's like i don't need to follow this history anymore i can Mm -hmm. just start making my own because i understand it so deeply and so intrinsically that i can start almost rewriting it yeah in my own ways and it's beautiful and it's fascinating so interesting like (laughs) how his early work informs his later work yeah i don't need to talk about this specific thing anymore but it obviously just informs all of his work it definitely did i mean we talked about occupations briefly Mm -hmm. and like even nero paints that i was talking about in my paper i kind of tie them together in this idea of it being a symbolic self-portrait and the original ones were a very literal self-portrait but it's him trying to put himself in these other people's positions almost like made up circumstances Mm -hmm. like he's made up circumstances I don't know. He's doing some very, Ugh. very fascinating things. And he's so interesting. He's <laughs> such an interesting, interesting, uh, deep, heavy person. And I, I just, just want to meet so many people like yeah. that. Just oh, like yeah. in my life. Like, can I just know interesting um, people? Faith, do you have a favorite Anselm or favorites? I have favorites. Many favorites. <laughs> I actually didn't see an Anselm in person for a very long time. I like that it happened this way, but I was sort of making work the way that I do, which is like very ephemeral and neutral palette and sculptural, very aesthetically similar to Kiefer. And I didn't know about him. I don't know, because I was a dummy. I don't know. <laughs> no, um, no. Take time sometimes. <laughs> I didn't know about him yeah. for a long time. I didn't know about him until I was You don't 21. know until you know. That's true. <laughs> As an artist, you always feel like a dummy when you're making work that looks so similar to someone. And someone's I like, think it's almost reassuring. You know? No, I mean, yeah. it is unless you go to grad school and you're like I think that's everything about <laughs> grad school just wants to make you feel yeah, insecure yeah. but True. it's better I that's feel like for, for you to explore it on your own and then find out about him because otherwise you would have felt like you were just 
following him and it's and crazy how similar you thing. guys are for the fact that you didn't know him like that's why it makes me feel good like, yeah i was doing this thing and we have i mean i feel like we have parallel ideas sometimes but not entirely because you be have sure. different experiences yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. I feel like I'm not quite as dark and heavy as Anselm in a lot of ways because I didn't grow up after the holidays. Because, uh, <laughs> have you tried being more German? Well, <laughs> 90s Mount Shasta wasn't the same as I mean, 40s Germany. <laughs> in very few ways. I'm learning something new. There are some surprising parallels. You but know, there's some snow. I think that was about it. But no, I think it was good to have it be that way that I wasn't just copying an aesthetic of an artist that I really looked up to, which is a fear of a lot of artists. I obviously love Kiefer because of the way he works with materials. I think that's my first love. I love his ideas and his concepts, but he is maybe one of the very few artists that moves me on a very visceral level. Truth. Like, I'm... An emotional person in museums, that it can be hard to move me. Mm-hmm. I have had my breath taken out of my stomach by a kefir. And not just because of its size, just because of the level of texture yeah, and materiality. The, yeah. The Ooh. texture of it. There's there's a just a not even a heaviness in concept like there's a heaviness in material you're like wading through something no I was actually gonna say that with mine too like I'm a super emotional person in museums but I kind of like everything I can find something that excites me about like all art (laughs) um, which makes me like a really bad art critic (laughs) I love that I wish I was more that way (laughs) no I can everything I see I'm like I can find something but that doesn't mean that every piece of art I look at is memorable for me right but definitely Every time I've ever seen a kefir and definitely that moment that's captured in that picture was like a whoa. And then, yeah, also the Louvre, that was a whoa. Like I've had mm-hmm. so many. That like, one definitely caught us off guard. We were yeah. all like, ah! that, that was, and yet at the Hess collection, like I've had so many moments with Anselm that even though that's kind of just what I do in museums, they're memorable because they were yeah. such intense They moments. have an energy about yeah. them. And mm-hmm. yeah, not even to get too spiritual on you guys, but if you're, in proximity, especially the one at the Hess, I got to say there's something about that. I think I it's the shape of it. of it. I think it's the shape of it and the fact that it's on the ground and the way you move around it. It feels like it has a magnetic force. I don't I don't know. It's powerful. I mean, it's a very powerful piece of art. And there's a lot of metal in the pieces. Yeah. So I think there's something to that feeling yeah. of energy. There's, I, I think there's force. probably, yeah. It's, he uses natural materials and yeah. heavy materials mm-hmm. and I believe 100% that they carry an actual energy Especially with them. considering the intent of the person who created it. It's just a lot going on there. And if you're open to really feeling Mm-hmm. something like that when you're there you will like you will yeah. feel all the intention from Anselm from the materials it's a very powerful thing well and I was saying like I hadn't seen one even though I was a huge fan for several years and I don't know I hadn't traveled to the east coast I hadn't gone places where they have keepers really and the first time I saw one was by surprise Here it is. and I didn't know oh, let's see it this is oh wow that's the one at the hess they have another one someone don't they? take me please oh the hess isn't that far away baby girl you I should know. go i know i wanted to go for my birthday so but it didn't happen 
have we talked about any significance that he attributes to his medium? I mean, lead is very powerful in a lot oh, of yeah, ways. Oh, yeah, that one's cool, too. That's sweet. So we're currently looking at orcs that exist yeah, I, at I mean, the I Hess collection. Them. They're all awesome. But the one I was talking about specifically that I was like, I can feel it was the black one on the ground. Uh-oh, so yeah. the Hess collection exists in Napa, California. If you happen to find yourself in the Napa Valley region. It's a good time. You can go get wine. You go, can go check get out some wine. Amazing art. An amazing museum. It's, it's one of my favorites. I mean, I think at some point we'll do... A vlog, a Napa weekend. That would be Our lovely. History Babes Napa take weekend. Get a, an Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll take Faith. <laughs> yeah, we'll get an Airbnb. We'll bring Faith and Paul. We're going to. And we'll vlog it for y'all. We'll drink a lot of wine and we'll look at some <laughs> kefirs. It's going to be great. Yeah, so you should probably get on our YouTube. You <laughs> <laughs> probably do it. Get on the YouTube channel. If you're not on YouTube, like, what, what are you doing? doing? Get on the YouTube. Stop it. Subscribe. Hit that little stupid bell. See <laughs> little stupid Bell. So you get oh. our notifications. Okay, but my first keeper. Yeah, okay. okay. yeah your first keeper, please. Back Baby's first keeper. Yes. Aww. Baby's uh, first keeper. It was by surprise at the Broad, which Ooh. is yep. a great museum, sort of a weird museum, but wow. like great. Down in the Never centers. been. Never it's, been. Me it's either. Great. I've been outside. It's <laughs> weird. I've it's, heard some criticism. It's very but... LA. Oh. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. But, <laughs> Smart. Yes. But yeah, this piece, me and Ariel, my very good friend and your good friend, who was in my MFA program, she and I were just obsessed with this hunk of lead. It had beautiful coloring. It looked like it had been torched and left in the elements for hundreds of years with maybe a photograph like embedded in it. And it was huge. And it didn't look like your average kefir. We were standing in front of it so long that an attendant was like, excuse me, missus, are you okay? (laughs) No. And we're like, can you tell us something about this? And he's like, I don't really know. It's Kiefer. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it was incredible. And I looked up the rest of the Broads collection of Kiefer. It's so different from any of the other work that you've seen, like his behemoth paintings. It's not like that. It's not like his work at his estate in Barjak. It's It's very sculptural in a more clear-cut way than, you know, his, like, very ephemeral sculptures. They're, like, behind glass. And they all have titles that are related to alchemical processes. And it was, like, really interesting because he doesn't really talk about them and, like, nobody really talks about them. Very interesting. Another surprise was at the Louvre. Very unexpected. Yeah. And the MoMA, SF MoMA, had a really good collection <gasps> oh, yeah. when they first reopened. Yeah, like yeah. a whole room. A whole room. It was like my paradise. And they, and they were like the fuzzy ones with mm-hmm. the grass. With and like, like the straw sticking yeah. out of them. And like you wanted to touch them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you can't. I just stayed there for like Yeah, I loved two the, hours. the Kiefer room. Oh, that was great. Oh, man. Yeah. That was good stuff. Gotta yeah. see more of Kiefer. You gotta. Oh, yeah. And one more time was this last Christmas when I went to Fort Worth, Texas for Christmas to see my mother. And I'm not a huge fan of Texas, but I go for my mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my whole family was there. 
And I think my mom listens to your podcast, so I won't go into it. Oh, hi, Faith Mom. (laughs) Mama sponsor. Hi, Mommy. I was getting away from my family, and I was like, I'm going to go to the Fort Worth Contemporary Museum. You don't have to go, you like 20 people that are at my mom's house. You wouldn't even want to go. All of them went. (laughs) (laughs) It was a nightmare. Oh, my God. That's sweet. <laughs> it was something. But there were three huge keepers like to start out with, which I was really surprised by. And one of the books with the wings in this really incredible concrete turret. And it was a really small museum and it was a whole room devoted to him and it made my Christmas okay. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. all you can ask that's for. That's all you can ask for. <laughs> but those are my great in-person Kiefer experiences. Those are great experiences. That's wonderful. Oh, so good. I enjoyed that. So let's just take a quick break. Just a quick one. All break. Right. We back. We're back, back again. We are talking totally about Anselm Kiefer. Kiefer. <laughs> Kiefer. 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 Are you are you Kiefer's hype man? I don't know. <laughs> Kiefer. I think we're all Kiefer's hype man. Yeah. For real. I think this whole episode. Kiefer. 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 <laughs> Where are you at, Kiefer? Where are you at, Kiefer? <laughs> Somewhere he's like, stop. <laughs> He's like, no, no. <laughs> uh, I feel like he would just be trying to calm us all down right now. Yeah, like, we're we're is- way too much for Keith. Like, <laughs> he walked away twenty no, minutes no, ago. No, 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 no. Keith likes to keep it chill. He really and does. We're just True. out of control. Yeah, so. we're a little extra for Keith. But, uh, <laughs> so we're talking about Anselm Kiefer. We talked about some of our favorites. We got emotional. We talked about how he's basically ex excavating the secrets of the universe pretty much yeah yeah to wrap it all up <laughs> but nat's going to discuss something that's really important to a lot of his work actually he's really inspired by poetry yeah yeah so we've already touched on how history and mythology affect his work but as did contemporary art including poetry so one of his series was inspired by a 1948 poem by paul salon titled togus feud which means death fuge And I don't have the whole translated poem, but in reference to his paintings, it's simplifying, from his perspective, the largest parties in the Holocaust, the Germans and the Jews. So we have the characters of Marguerite and Shulamit, Marguerite being the German archetype and Shulamit being the Jewish archetype. And so he does these series of paintings based on either And there's quite a few of them, but I am going to focus on Your Golden Hair Marguerite from 1980 and Shulamit from 1983. They are very different paintings. (laughs) Faith is familiar with these as well, so she's going to help me out. Your Golden Hair Marguerite is a watercolor, first of all. Watercolor and acrylic. But it's very whimsical, I would Mm -hmm. say. Lighter than your usual Yes, much lighter than your usual kefir. Obviously, that could be just for reference based on the subject matter. And the Shulamit, in turn, is very dark and dismal. It is an interior. We'll have these photos up. But it's based on the Berlin Hall of Soldiers. And it's essentially dark brick. It looks burnt. (laughs) And 
in the background of your golden hair marguerite the words are actually written across wheat fields essentially the bottom one it looks like if a cave was made of brick and it's very very dark you saw it in person correct i'm pretty positive this all of the ones from these series are like very similar so sometimes if it wasn't this one it was like almost identical it probably was it was at the sf moma and it was huge it doesn't seem as dark as it does when you look at it in a book or digitally because it's in a big white cube but it's very dark and it almost looks like if you were standing in front of it perspectively it would look like you were walking into the cave Mm -hmm. i mean obviously depending on how it's hung but there's a lot of depth perspective in that So Kiefer and Salon are both aiming to represent these polar sides of the tragedy of the Holocaust, the intrinsic tragedy. And they're using these two really well-known Jewish biblical women. So Shulamit and Marguerite are taken from Jewish mythology. And in the Shulamit painting, there's flames in the background that represent a menorah, a temple, But everything else in the picture is super dark and dismal. So Mm -hmm. there's this glimmer of hope. There's glimmer of representation of Jewish faith and Shulamit. And her name is also written up in the left-hand corner. But other than that, like, that's the representation. The rest is just very dark and barren. And in contrast, Marguerite is very light and airy and, like, free of any heaviness. Marguerite is representative of the German experience and that is the idea that people were living very normal lives and lives that were untouched by the polar opposite of what the Jewish population was experiencing Mm -hmm. and how those two things can coincide and be happening at the same time. Yeah. And totally completely opposite sides of the privilege coin. Exactly. So Salon is facing that head on in his poem and then in turn Kiefer made a whole series of visual representations in the last line of the poem your golden hair marguerite your ashen hair shulamit Mm -hmm. so it's this idea of gold and ash like Mm -hmm. privilege and the opposite (laughs) I love these works I love the dialogue that they create I don't know that any of them are really kept together. So that's kind of interesting, too. That's what I was about to say. I've never seen those Mm -mm. two paired, which I really like. Yeah. I don't think they're often shown as a series or in tandem or in juxtaposition. I think it's just he created them that way. And then as Anselm does, he just let them go into the universe Mm -hmm. and (laughs) let the world make of them what they will. Mm -hmm. But take a look at both of them and sit on that one for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And a lot of his work deals with, I mean, that heaviness, but also like dealing with the tragedy, but also just dealing with German identity mm-hmm. and what it meant to be a German after World War Two. So he did a series of flower paintings and there's a <laughs> quote from him that I adore <laughs> where he's talking about the flower paintings. And he's like, I did some flower paintings. And I thought, that's too difficult to do flowers. It's too comforting. People People would like like it too much, much, you know? (laughs) Wow. That's a really good quote. I know, right? And so... So Keith. I mean, in this series, though, the flowers are like... They're colorful. They're colorful. They're actually somewhat light there's mm-hmm. pinks and there's colors in there and blues but he they're like palette knife colors yeah, yeah and they're, i really enjoy them quite a bit but the series Too is nice. 
Yeah, but it's too nice for Keith. And the series is called the Morgenthau Plan series. And it was a whole exhibition of these, as far as Kiefer goes, lighter floral paintings. I mean, they still have the texture and stuff, but basically the Morgenthau plan was this plan. It never went through, but it was enacted in 1944 by the American Secretary of the Treasury, Henry Morgenthau. He was going to parcel out all of Germany's industrial region to the victors of the war, basically. And it would have resulted in extreme famine and just Mm -hmm. like horror for the German people. And so by referencing this, Anselm Kiefer is kind of like this plan, even though what happened with World War II was horrible, like would have been a very vicious response and bringing attention to the humanity of the German people that were left behind Mm -hmm. in the wake of it and those complicated aspects of everything post-World War II, which is just like really heavy title to throw on some flower paintings right. <laughs> and it comes from two these paintings also are very representative of fields mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. and he played with straw and stuff in this series a lot too so it's kind of representative mm-hmm. of the farmland and the fields that were according to this plan were going to be sold out to the victors of the yeah. war sounds right. like a real key for thing to do he said he was going to do flowers but then got worried that they were going to be too well received mm-hmm. and then went real dark. <laughs> and then he was like, well, I need to remind you how heavy the history of man is. <laughs> I, I love that. Like one day he was like, I want to paint some flowers. I do too. <laughs> that are pink. <laughs> I do too. But that's too easy. Yep. Y'all. Too comforting. That's too comforting. You'll like it too much. Keith, <laughs> Keith said, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. And I like that. I like that he plays with that idea of comfort. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very central thing. He doesn't want people to get too comfortable because these ideas aren't necessarily comfortable, you know. Yet he's not a shock artist that's trying to make you uncomfortable either. You know what I mean? Like, like, you shouldn't be complacent because I'm not complacent. (laughs) But I still wanted to make some goddamn flowers. I love these flowers. (laughs) Everyone is allowed to paint flowers for real mm-hmm. and I really like the series I think they're really beautiful but you could tell in the documentary he didn't like how well received they were no. <laughs> yeah there's so many more works that we didn't talk about and so many more things we didn't I talk know. about is there anything else you guys want to touch on can I just mention he does a lot of wood cuts I think this is a later in life thing I like to think of Kiefer's work as in two halves, like his big behemoth paintings and then like his Barjac France phase where he just like plays around in his many acre playground. But he started to make woodcuts later in life, which are much more graphic because woodcuts are... Yeah are by nature and I really relate to that because that's how I work as well. I work in sculpture and installation and also linoleum cuts and I really appreciate that he allows himself to work that way like later in life. Yeah, if you haven't seen his woodcuts, you should really check them out. They're also huge because of course <laughs> he, he can't do anything small. No, that's insane. Big. Come on. Yeah. No, got to be massive and imposing. I think that's really cool. I mean, because almost, I don't know, I'm, I'm not trying to lay something on what you were saying as far as... Lay it on. Well, I mean, <laughs> some of what I'm gathering is that it's somehow out of the ordinary for an artist to break into something like 
those woodcuts mm-hmm. as a more mature established artist almost as if the medium of prince is somehow below an established artist or that's not how, taking it seriously seen. is that how it's seen i i feel like i've never wanted Mr. to say Zach that clark would really yeah okay because i don't want to lend my voice to that opinion but we we don't send me angry texts but he had a rough time in grad school because the faculty were not accepting of uh, print work and like bookmaking they didn't take that seriously they weren't a part of that generation and they certainly did not take it seriously yeah very serious form of art i think that it is too and i feel like Kiefer was like uh i want to do this too I've been working on this gigantic scale for this long, and now I want to try something different. And I think yeah. that that's awesome. I hate that institutionally we'd ever try and deter artists from doing things that are more accessible too, because mm-hmm. books and prints and things that you can hold in your hands are just naturally more accessible to people. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Only accessible physically, but yeah, financially, financially, yeah. financially physically. Like it's just yeah. it's more historically how people got to experience yeah. art and it's just a shame that now we're trying to like it also stamp feels, that down it somehow feels fun i love making prints i've made the linoleum block print yeah. and that is so much fun and i think that especially if you're coming from the world of i'm a legit artist i make stuff that's in the louvre i want to make a damn i know a fucking print yeah like come on i'm gonna make flowers and i'm gonna make prints and you're gonna deal with and i'm it. gonna be drunk as fuck <laughs> while i'm doing it i've made prints too and they turned out okay but i cannot make a print like a professional artist could make a print so I, it's I not couldn't. fair to act like all block prints are the same it's something that is a little more accessible to people but also when it's done well holy shit it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing prints are just. But also, I mean, if you look at the canon so of terrible. art history, going back to Zach and stuff, we did the episode on Albert Durer. Like, mm-hmm. there are famous artists that did print work mm-hmm. throughout time, you know. But they so, had to, like, stay there. It's like, we want them to stay categorized. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. start and stay in prints. That's different than, like, regressing to prints is what Anselm would have been categorized as yeah. doing. I mean, Dura painted too, though. So I'm just saying, like, I feel like historically there have been people that we consider important artists that work in print, but it's just something that... It almost feels like you have to be from the 13th century. Yeah. In <laughs> contemporary like... art, for whatever reason, it's looked down upon. And yeah, it's exactly, exactly. Exactly. But sucks. y'all, that's how I make money. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, Post-grad school. That's how I do it. Ask Our Lady stuff. Faith has a very lucrative, I've just learned. I mean, I'm poor, uh, but I eat. It's <laughs> lucrative in the sense that she's paying the bills. So check out her prints at Plug It, babe. Plug it! www.etsy.com <laughs> slash augury press. A-U-G-U-R-Y press mm-hmm. that will also be linked down below for you all. yeah check out her instagram it's really fun she did an entire zodiac series which oh, i love they're mm-hmm. so good i have the scorpio and the leo print yeah i need mm-hmm. the capricorn i need to finish i gotta the get trifecta. me the virgo because you know that swan but they're so good they're, they're really good. good and she has tarot cards i will have the full deck in oh Oh, yes. And then the really wow. fun ones that you get to like color change and then build into mm-hmm. little, I, there's a little pantheon and there's obelisk. It's super fun. Oh yeah. You can build your own 
Yeah. Okay, it's that's fun. really fun. It's a fun time. There's oh, a great little her stuff is so much fun. Please check it out. <laughs> There's a great segment of one of our YouTube videos where Corey is building a little pantheon. I, I build a pantheon. It's, I love it's awesome. That. <laughs> I build a pantheon on the YouTube. So get on our YouTube. Check it out. <laughs> we will also link that in the show notes. Yeah, that will be linked <laughs> in the show gonna notes. There's going to be so many links. <laughs> so you guys many, don't even know. So click, many links in the show notes. Click on them all. <laughs> yep. All right, let's do a quick listener mail. All right. Okay, this was kind of a fun one, and I'd like to also hear Faith's thoughts on this. Ooh, sure. Okay, so Gauguin versus Picasso. Oh, God. <laughs> Shit. How artists treat women. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, here we go. Both like shit. <laughs> oh, all right. Hold on. So, <laughs> so I just finished listening to the episode on Gauguin. Now, I have to say, before I learned about his exploits, I was never a big fan of Gauguin's art. Just personal preference. Word. Not He's that not a- that good. <laughs> okay. Let's just start there. <laughs> However, it got me thinking about Picasso as well. Granted, unlike Gauguin, he wasn't a gross predatory pedophile, but I wouldn't call him woman friendly either. Mm-mm. He'd have a crush, get heavily involved, and then just as quickly dump a woman for the next one more than mm. once with his child. The women he was involved with were featured in his paintings, so you can't separate Picasso's life from his art either. With Gauguin, I have no problem stating he wasn't as important to art history as some might claim, but with Picasso, you can't deny the importance of his work. True. This makes him also problematic, but harder to dismiss than a Gauguin. I would love to hear how you regard Picasso and his work, given his treatment of women. This comes to us from Boss boss i had a conversation with a friend recently because the gogan episode came up and he was basically asking do you separate like he gave me like the big question like do you separate the art from the artist no (laughs) no no No. <laughs> I mean, for those of you who have listened to our Gauguin episode, this is going to sound like a broken record. But I think what we kind of deduced is that in certain circumstances, it's just not possible. Like when Gauguin is painting the young women that he is essentially raping because that is statutory rape. Yeah. In case you Even all didn't know. Even if it wasn't know. statutory rape, like a 12 year old can't consent. I'm sorry. That's the definition of statutory rape. Uh, <laughs> that is what it means are too young to consent so anything is not okay all right but i'm still mad <laughs> but you're right you're yeah, right you right. disagree <laughs> with the term statutory yeah. rape <laughs> yeah so it's just girl i just don't it. know that it's the same it's unfortunate i don't want to act like i think picasso's behavior is mm. admissible like mm. i think that it's inappropriate i don't approve of it but it is a little different if it's women who are of age it, and like of their own agency. And exactly. But that is I'll, a big difference. I'll, I got some words. No, no, Corey, you go. But I totally agree. That's kind of starting point. Mm-hmm. What Gauguin did and what Picasso did are different. Different. Like, you're being such a good hype man tonight. <laughs> so different. <laughs> what Gauguin did was rape young girls and exploit Tahitian women like like it was was, like what Picasso did on crack yeah because yeah he had a wife at home he had kids he left and then so Gan just thing after thing after thing he was just a shitty ass person and then he painted it and then he painted evidence evidence of the (laughs) shitty things he did and then we look at them and we're like oh it's so sensitive and beautiful it's so romantic like I hate it it makes me so mad it's really gross it's really gross 
Picasso, I liked your wording because he is 100% also problematic. And he's gross in his own way. Yeah, 100%. And I think what you're bringing up is totally right. Like, we need to be talking about that. And when we do a Picasso episode, which we will do. We will. We will talk about those things. That will not go without being spoken. When we talk about Picasso and paintings that he did of these women, we're going to be like, well, this was fucked up. Well, this was fucked up. At the end of the day, I don't think they're the same thing. What Gauguin was doing was super exploitative. It was super... It was disgusting. He went into it as in like, oh, it's just primitive. Exactly. uh, The romanticization of another culture. Like... Ooh, Picasso did that too. I know he did, but here's... No, I know. I'm just... As we were saying it, I was just realizing like this specific thing, he did it too, but he did not do all of the same. The romanticization and the sexualization and it all being wrapped up in this package and then us looking at it and calling it beautiful that's messed up so basically my overall thing that i'm getting at here is you're 100 right because we need to talk about picasso as well and we will and on both Gauguin and picasso and everyone like i mean we did a salvador dali episode and we definitely talked about some he like, was wrong messed up shit he lot. did what we need to be doing with artists like Gauguin and picasso is we just when you're teaching these artists or exhibiting these artists we need to be talking about these Give things a well-rounded i picture. know yeah Gauguin while we all hate him and none of us really have a desire to no, like he's garbage yeah but also like also like a bad painter <laughs> he's right? not even I've good. never thought his paintings were remotely no. aesthetically pleasing not only was he a shit person but like a he bad was a painter. shit painter yeah yellow Christ <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> There is not a problem of separating What's what you did with your there? work because your work is shit oh and you're a God. piece of shit. I know. Go ahead. So fucking Gauguin's birthday was a few weeks ago. And every, Whatever. every fucking art institution out there was posting on their Instagrams yeah. about how he's the sensitive artist. And like, just, are you serious? That's yeah, weird it makes me want to set stuff on fire. I know. And, and, should, why did we not post something we, that was... We, we like responded uh, to some people. Mm. Also, it incenses me whenever I go to a museum with so many Gauguins and people are like, Yes. And I'm like, no. Do you think that says (laughs) something like societally about people that Gauguin is so easily digested by people and like people enjoy it so much? I got some words. I think that artists like Gauguin and Picasso and these big names from early 20th century abstract artists that got big because they were all sort of in this same circle of artists that ended up in France and were doing their thing. It's easy to single them out as being these like amazing artists. And I think that that's why Gauguin gets lumped into that group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that he's easily singled out among people like Van Gogh, Picasso, etc. But... I want to get back to the heart of this email, which is that, no, Picasso wasn't that much better wherein he treated women poorly. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to keep that in mind when we're looking at any artist, whether it's an artist from yesteryear or contemporary. Mm -hmm. What do they do behind closed doors and how do we feel about that? But also Picasso's criticized more in art historical circles than Gauguin. Picasso's criticized for his... That's crazy if that's true. You don't think so? For primitivism and stuff? People actually call him out for that shit. And no one calls Gauguin out for anything. So So at least Picasso's being called out for something... 
people criticize Picasso, not you know across the board, but art I historians feel like will take a stand to. I'm sure a lot of artists should be called out more, but mm-hmm. but Picasso has been criticized for his problematic <laughs> ventures, <laughs> I, I th- and Gauguin hasn't, and I think that's why we were so frustrated in the episode is we were just overwhelmed by the overall acceptance of Gauguin. I think you just picked up on something really important though, because you're right, Picasso has been criticized for his primitivism, but nobody says shit about his treatment of women. Because yes. women because nobody oh, cares. True. As important. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you're totally right. There has been discussion of Picasso and primitivism and that's very important. Don't get me wrong. But all these male artists not wanting to talk about these really problematic elements of the way they treat women or whatever. It's a problem and it's not okay, especially when you are displaying paintings of those women so going kind of back to what i said about gauguin we're getting all these posts from like important art institutions saying happy birthday to paul gauguin the sensitive fucking artist and i wanted to be like no are you kidding me and what it says i mean i'm not going to try and put words into the mouth of the people doing these things but what it says overall societally is that women are less important. Yeah. Yeah. Women don't matter, apparently. That's what it's saying. These things don't change. Because Um, this shitty painter was a sensitive guy that moved to Tahiti. And it's such a huge problem when, you know, you talk to someone who doesn't know anything about art history and you're like, do you know an artist? And they're like... Picasso. You know, they have no idea that, you know, they were a huge sexist and treated women. Yeah, Diego Rivera was a terrible man. Yes. And he's really famous. Can you name one? woman artist when you're like who who do you know who's your favorite oh, artist oh my god yeah. it's like mm. maybe no. a warhol uh, if they think they're all modern no right. yeah it, i hate him patriarchy man damn it i think at the bottom of all of it is what we try to do with this show is like i said i think the salvador dali episode is a good episode because we do talk about things about him that we liked and we also talk about things about mm-hmm. him that were like really shitty mm-hmm. and then we're like i don't quite know how to reconcile it but i'm putting this information out there because it's important talk about it yeah and that's none of us can give the answers we can't say this artist is okay this artist isn't and i don't want to you can't remove artists from the historical canon at this point like you can't just pretend picasso wasn't picasso no i wouldn't want to but what I believe needs to be done and why we felt so passionate on that Gauguin episode is these artists that are being exhibited with no context, no information about these really horrible things that informed their work and these aspects of them. And there's just no balance between like they're still just being put on pedestals. We're past that. It's yeah. 2018. We should not be doing that anymore. No. And it is very upsetting. So yeah, Picasso did some shitty things and we will talk about some of those shitty things. We will. On an episode and about Picasso. Let's get more listener mail like this because this is a great I know. topic. Like, yeah. I by, love like, this listener us mail. going on for like 20 minutes yeah. about this. Thank mm-hmm. you, Boz. Yeah, this wow. was a great one. Now I'm like really hyped on a Picasso <laughs> episode. I know, right? There's a great documentary, not really a documentary, sort of like a fake documentary that if you haven't heard of, it's called F for fake and it's Mm. about a fake picasso and in the fun silly documentary it's from like the 70s the documentarian leads you through a narrative in which picasso becomes transfixed by a 19 year old muse Mm. and it's very beautiful and there's a lot of colorful (laughs) 
scenes and, and yeah, th- uh, that's the thing. Picasso's women are always yeah, his yeah. muses. Yeah, his muses. Like, I know. which is a very like uh. early twentieth century notion. This was a great listener mail, thought provoking. We'd like to hear listener thoughts on it as well because it's a super complicated topic. And while we get really into it and passionate, I also don't want to give off the idea that we like know all the answers. No, but we do know that the way these artists are perceived and exhibited needs to change. Yeah, yeah. that's a fact. 100%. It's true, and we promise you that we're going to do our research and we're gonna deliver a pretty dope Picasso episode. Yeah, and there's gonna be things in the episode where we're like, I like this about Picasso, and then there's gonna be things yeah. where we're like, I really don't. We're like gonna fight about it. And like, write like in hours. about your favorite problematic <laughs> artists, and we'll try and make some sense of it. Yeah. I would love that. Let us know about your favorite Please. problematic artists. I want to know about all your favorite problematic artists. But at but the end of the day, Gauguin is still the yeah, worst. Yeah, that's not changing. <laughs> He's the worst. The worst. <laughs> it's the worst. Everyone the worst. cue your best John Ralphio. The worst. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> as well as the most problematic artists. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. For yes. Episodes, please, yeah. please. For like female contemporary artists, Ava Hesse. Oh, wow. I will get deep on Eva Hesse. Well, that will be our next fake sponsor. Female contemporary artist. All about it. I think that that is really an interesting artist to tackle. You gotta contrast those problematic men. You're yeah, right. They're and problematic ass women yeah. too. A hundred percent. Probably a lot more contemporary because yeah. they didn't have the platform to be problematic <laughs> exactly. before. But yeah. equality, now they can be problematic <laughs> too. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, you are not this, off our radar. This is The equality. pendulum is swinging, guys. We can be problematic too, y'all. <laughs> All right. But yeah, great listener mail. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, we love these. I mean, we love the ones that are just really sweet too, but we also love the thought-provoking These thought-provoking complicated we love them all we We love love you all all. thank you boz thank you boz thank you listeners thank you faith for being on this episode we love when we have you we love it we love it we love it we love it it. now we're gonna hang out we're gonna i think read some tarot and maybe film it and hopefully create a youtube video out of that so you should get on our youtube I'm on the YouTube. If you have not stopped this episode to go subscribe to the YouTube. You're not our friend. Also, who's not a patron? I am a patron. I am their great friend. I'm a patron. How did this episode turn into us just yelling at our listeners? (laughs) Everyone's volumes turned down so low at this point. Those of you who haven't, like, those of you who are still listening, first of all, I'm sure a lot of people tuned out a while ago. Can't handle these cackling ass. I know. Girls (laughs) are iPhones into the ravine. But yeah, thank you. We love you all. We hope you enjoy this episode. Definitely check out our YouTube. Do it. Check us out on all the social social medias yeah email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com please patreon patreon.com slash arthistorybabes you want to get on that because we just recorded a patreon uh-huh. extra with faith about synesthesia yep. and there's all kinds of good stuff on there so you want to get on that so become a patron you get for a dollar a month you guys yeah. you get extra content what even is a dollar these days i can't even think of something to compare it to literally nothing. a pack of gum on sale yeah. i don't know yeah you can you like, cannot even buy a pack of gum for a dollar <laughs> 
A dollar a month gets you a new episode Woo. Plus every all month. of the old episodes we've already done on Patreon. Yeah. You've got a whole archive of Patreon extras and there's waiting more to come. for you. You just start paying a dollar a month and it's just waiting there for you. Don't so, be a dummy. Some good content. <laughs> Don't be a it's dummy. It's a good deal, guys. Get on it. <laughs> Check out our website. Check it all out. It's there for you. It's all on the website. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> or in the mile long show notes. I know. <laughs> Holy hell. Check we've gone on so long. <laughs> all right. All Thank right. you so much, you guys. We, we love, love you. you. Bye. Bye. From Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.